You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So we're talking about love for a few weeks here. Um, Someone challenged me last week and said, what if being a Christian is much less complicated than we've made it? So what if it's simply to love? I mean, what if that's it? What if that's the bottom line? And what if we've complicated it way more than we should? And really, being a Christian is about loving. And so I remembered the words of Jesus when someone asked Him, What is the greatest commandment? Of all the commandments, Jesus, which is the most important? And Jesus begins with that word, love. If you want to know what the greatest commandment is, it's love. The Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. We, we all tend to live with many of the same questions. And one of the most pressing questions that we all live with is a question of what is God like? I remember as a college student waking up in the middle of the night, tossing, turning with this question. I remember getting up in the morning as a young man praying about this question. God, reveal yourself to me. I want to know you. I want to know what you're like. If I take you back to an earlier conversation we had, I would remind you of the words of A.W. Tozer, who said, what comes to a man's mind when he thinks of God, is the most important thing about a man. And what Tozer was saying was what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. What Tozer is really talking about is your theology. What you believe God is like. And so we open our Bible this morning to the first epistle of John, and here's what John says about God. Three words. God is love. Our temptation is to reduce that to a quality or a characteristic of God. That is not the case. John is saying this is the very essence of his being. This is who God is. This is what God is like. God is love. In fact, he says, love comes from God. Meaning that without God, there is no love. It does not exist. He is the source of all love. And then he gives us this command that we should love one another. So let me take you to 1 John, okay? Chapter 4, and I'll start reading with verse 7. The first epistle of John, chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. So if you're kind of new to carrying a Bible, go all the way back to the book of Revelation and just back up a couple of pages, and you'll find yourself in the epistles of John. We're in the first epistle of John, chapter 4, verse 7. And here's what John says. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. If we are ever going to become like God, we have to love. 
Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. These words are alarming, I'll warn you. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And this is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. So this is God's Word for us today. I, uh, I got up this morning and I went into my office and um, pulled my laptop a little closer that was sitting on my desk and um, on my homepage in the news was information about the recovery of the country of Nepal after the earthquake that hit only, what, nine days ago. A week ago, Saturday actually. The death count as of this morning was over 7,000 people. And they expect that thousands more will be found. Kind of the bright light of the story this morning was that three people who have been missing since last Saturday, a week ago Saturday, buried in rubble, were found alive. Three people in their home. And they were pulled from the rubble of the earthquake and, and brought to safety. And it looks as if all three of those will, will survive. Eight days. Amazing, isn't it? I try to imagine what it would be like to be in one of those two cities where the earthquake did the most damage. I try to think about the lack of resources the complete chaos that is everywhere. I thought this week about children who are orphaned. I thought about families, moms and dads who have lost children, people who have lost loved ones. When you think about the death toll being at over 7,000 now, expected to reach maybe 10,000 or more, I can't imagine the devastation that people are feeling. And amidst all of that grief, you've got just life is as chaotic as you can imagine. People are trying to get supplies in. People are trying to respond. But how soon does that all take place? And for many of those people, life will never be normal again. Never, ever be normal again. When I think about giving... It almost feels comical uh, to think that an offering that Annette and I would give would 
would really make any kind of a difference at all in the lives of those people. It's, it just seems like we, we are not going to make a dent. If I gave my annual salary, in fact, if I gave what I could earn in my lifetime, it would not make a dent in their recovery. But I'm a part of this greater family. Not only the Church of the Nazarene, but Christian brothers and sisters all around the world. And, and what I've realized is that if we all do our something, do our, our part, if we all give it an offering, and you begin to add all of that together, and all the organizations that get involved, then, then we actually do make a difference. God will use us. Did you know that we have 8,000 members of the Church of the Nazarene in the country of Nepal? 8,000. And we don't give because there are Nazarenes there. We, we give because we have a network of people on the ground. And we can give. And, and this morning in the offering time, I failed to mention to you, but let me mention it to you now, that you can, you can mark your offerings uh, through our church. Just designate the offering for the country of Nepal. And we will make sure that that money gets to those relief efforts through Nazarene Compassionate Ministries. So, just hold on to that for a second, okay? I think, I think when I read the words of John, I, I feel uneasy. <laughs> um, it's a bit disturbing. But because he gives us this language, he says, Whoever does not love does not know God. And I, I hear the words and I, I try to work it out in my mind like you do. And then he gives the opposite in another statement where I read you a moment ago that the person who does love does know God. And so I, I think I'm hearing him say that, that if a person claims to have fellowship with God, if, if you claim and I claim to be in a relationship with God, if, if we claim to know Him, then we love. It's like John saying, this is the validity of your relationship with Him. This is how you know that you are in relationship with the Father. It's because you love. And to that point, I'm doing okay. But, but we've been looking at this little epistle as a whole. It feels more like a, an essay or a sermon than it does a letter. If you see in chapter 3 your brother or sister in need and you don't have any pity on them, John says, then answer a question for me. How can the love of God be in you? Therefore, he says, in verse 18 of chapter 3, do not love with just words or speech, but love in action. And in truth, 
And so he takes this idea of love and he gives us a definition. And the definition is Jesus laid down his life for us. So we also ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And he moves it away from this definition of being this feeling that I have. I feel love for those people and I feel sorry for those people. And I try to empathize with those people and I hurt with those people. And he moves it into a conversation as a verb about action. So what are you going to do? had a conversation just recently with a gentleman who was talking about this younger generation, this generation of 20s and high school kids and how they are so motivated, moved, energized by cause. They get excited about feeding people who are hungry or responding to people who have suffered a natural disaster. Lots of energy for that. And so here's what John is saying. You move beyond the energy to actually doing something. And the conversations that I have with that generation all the time. So tell me what you're doing. And once in a while, once in a while, I meet a young person who, who puts it all on the line. And I think to myself, oh my goodness, they just went for broke. I mean, they are actually going to do something about it. They are making a huge living sacrifice at this point of their lives and they are not content to be energized by a cause but they're actually taking steps into action and they're going to do something about a condition of a brother or a sister in need. And, and John is extremely clear in saying this is what love looks like. And so God is love and if we know God, have been born of God or in a relationship with God, we will love. And love is qualified not by feelings, but by actions. Lord, help the city of Baltimore. Amen. It just overwhelms me. What is happening there? We saw it a few months ago in St. Louis. We've experienced it in uh, cities across our nation. We are living today with so much racial tension. So many struggles. Sometimes I feel hopeful in my spirit. I see things happening in these cities that encourage me. I think about uh, the many people who have turned out in Baltimore these last days to help clean up what rioters have done. I was uh, only four years old in 1965 when Jackie DeShannon recorded the song, What the World Needs Now. <laughs> Remember that one? 
Love, sweet love. You're wanting to sing it, aren't you? I think the next line was, it's the only thing there's not enough of. Just too little of. When I think about our nation, the only only answer that I can possibly conceive is love. That's it. It, It's back to this, have we overcomplicated things? Have we made it more complicated than we need to? Is it really just about love? Do you think there's a chance that Jesus could have been right? The most important thing for you in your life is to love God and love your neighbor. That's the most important commandment. Is that the answer to the ills of our world? Is that the answer to the struggles of our nation? Is that the answer to our political unrest, to the racial upheaval? Is that the answer to our society? Is that the answer for the recovery of Nepal? Is it just love? Love comes from God. God is love. He is the source of love. Without God, love does not exist in our world. Hmm. So what John does is he gives us this incredible picture. And he says, let me just show you, let me just show you God's love. Let, let me remind you how he revealed his love to us, how he, how he showed his love, how he made his love known. He sent his one and only son as an atoning sacrifice. He gave his son Jesus. He died on a cross. His blood covers our sins, an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, the response that we often have is that some people, however, are not all that lovable. You understand that this room is filled with people like that. Because the Word of God says while we were still sinners, what happened? Christ died for us when we were unlovable. That is when Jesus died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He could not sit back. He could not watch He could not do nothing. His love moved him to action. And His Word says that His love will move us to action. Much more than a feeling. It's something that we do. I have been living this last week after last Sunday's sermon with this this idea in my head of trying to grasp Jesus' vision for His church. Because he knows what love can do to a world. When he talks about loving one another, even in the world as believers, because if we can't love one another, how in the world do we hope to love people who do not share our values and our dreams and our goals and everything else? He understands what change it can bring to a society. And so when I think about Jesus coming into the world, what does He do? He changes the world, but He doesn't have an army. He does not pick up a sword. What does He use? He only uses love. 
And he started a revolution because he loved people. God showed us His love in this way, that He gave His one and only Son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And Jesus came and He loved and He changed the world by the way He loved. And then John says, So you also ought to love one another with that sacrificial love like God loved you. And, and I would just take a moment not to dwell here but to remind you that John is writing to a group of people who are not united. They are divided. The division is because persecution is so prominent among them at this point that some are wandering away from the faith because they are afraid, which causes great division for those who are trying to stay true and so he is telling them, in this time of your lives, when you are divided, you should love one another. It's not just about doing what's easy. It's about loving each other. Did you see the moon last night? moon always interests me. Sometimes I go outside at night and I think to myself, wow. <laughs> You could almost do anything you wanted to do in the moonlight. You can see great. Look how bright it is out here. Full moon, just so bright, no clouds. Look at this. Look how much light the moon gives. But the truth is the moon, you know, has no light. In fact, people have been to the moon, walked on the moon, and they would tell you that the moon is this kind of dark gray rock. Well, how does the moon give so much light? Because the sun hits the moon and the moon reflects like a mirror, but not a good mirror, a really bad mirror. And so the sun, as bright as it is, hits this dark gray matter and the reflection of the sun gives this warm, nice shadow over our earth. So John says, can we talk about what God is like again? Nobody's ever seen God. But when we love as Jesus loved, like the moon is a reflection of the light of the sun, we become a reflection of God's love. And people figure out what God is like because of the way we love others. There's another element to this conversation as you get to these last two verses. And it goes something like this. If Annette and I said to you today, why don't you guys come by maybe for something to uh, have for dessert later. We, we won't get home until about 8 o'clock tonight, but why don't you come at about 8 and uh, we'll have some dessert together. And so you come into our house and, and we're all there together and we just say, would it, would it be bad if we went back to our bedroom and our closet and we changed clothes? You guys look really comfortable. We've kind of had this on all day long and we'd love to change. Do you mind? 
and you'd say, no, you guys go ahead and get comfortable and then we'll have dessert. And, and on the way out of the room, we said, just make yourself at home. And so we go back and we change clothes and finally we come back out of our bedroom and you have moved the couch around and you have moved chairs and you have moved furniture. <laughs> and you're as busy as you can be. You got a hammer and you're putting a new nail on the wall to put a picture here. And I go, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? Well, you said to make ourselves at home. If we lived here, we would never arrange the furniture like you had it. <laughs> you got it all crunched together. No, we like space. We were just moving things where we create more room in here. I mean, you did say make yourself at home, right? My assumption is that would probably be the last time we would ever invite you to our house. <laughs> it wouldn't have as much to do with the furniture thing as just that we would have determined you're kind of weird. We don't want to hang around you. Who would do that? You know what minnow is? I'm not talking about this minnow. It swims. It's a Greek word. Minnow. John uses it when he talks about how God dwells in us. But if we love one another, God, minnow, dwells in us. You know what dwells means? To abide, to remain, to live. And the lectionary says, to make oneself at home. And when we love one another and God dwells in us, His love is made complete in us. I'm just wanting to say, relax. You may be thinking, Rick, I will never get there in my lifetime. I will never love the way God wants me to love. And I just want to say, just relax, would you? Because the burden is not on you. If we love one another, God dwells in us and He makes his love complete in us. He will rearrange your life, your heart. He will move your priorities over here where they belong. He will move things that shouldn't be as high priority way down on the list. He will move you into the places that you need to be. He will work in your heart. He will transform you. If you know God, His love will be in you and His love will be made complete in you. So rest. Seeking Him. Being filled with His Spirit, knowing Him, loving Him. Tozer would say, follow hard after God. Spend time in His presence. Spend time in worship. Pray. Spend time in His Word. Know Him. He will live in you and He will make His love complete in you. I sat, I sat this week with a guy whose name is Terry Hall. He attends our church. He's a medical doctor. When the Swaziland Partnership came up, Terry jumped in. Head over heels. Do you say that in Oklahoma? We say that in Kentucky. Head over heels. That's, I mean, he did. He dived in. And he has gone and given and served and loved and for him it has not been about 
I feel a lot for the Swazis. It was, I will act on behalf of the Swazis. And he's been doing this seminar, an AIDS-free Swaziland. It's on his own dime. He goes, he trains, he shares, he gives. 25 to 30 people die every day in the small country of Swaziland, a country of a million people, as a result of AIDS. But that's half of what it was a few years ago. And Terry believes that as we educate Swazis about this virus in their country, that that rate can be slowed way down, simply through education. Isn't that amazing? He is not content to cross his arms and sit back and say, Well, I feel for the Swazis. No, he pushes his sleeves up and he gets involved. You know, I'm celebrating today many stories like that. And this is one of those Sundays that we are saying, if you are involved in some kind of summer missions event, if you have said, and God has said to you, I'm calling you into action. Uh, we wanted to pray for you this morning. We want you to come and, and kneel here. So let me ask everybody to stand. And those of you who are going to be participating in summer's missions event, some of you have received communication in the mail. Some of you, maybe we missed you. But I want all of those of you who are going to participate this summer in some kind of missions effort, whatever that might be, I'm wanting you to come and just kneel here at the altar. And I want to pray for you before before we leave this morning. So, Rick, I've never gone on a summer's missions thing. Well, it certainly doesn't mean you don't love. God calls many of us to do many different things. And I watch many of you love where you are. I watch you give. I watch you serve. So, if, if, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today, I don't want to take that away. Um, but I feel like as your pastor, it's not often enough that I say to you, thank you for what you do. Um, Annette and I talk often about the large, large number of people who are part of this church who give sacrificially, who cannot sit back and just feel but say, I've got to do something, who volunteer to serve. I remember uh, events that we've had, and we've had to put people on waiting lists to serve. No, you have to wait. You can't serve yet. We have a lot of people who volunteered. I love being a part of a church where this is the Spirit. And so I love seeing all these people here who God has said, you know, I want you to go. And so this summer they're going. And so I just want to pray for them. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I just want to put my hand on the shoulder of every person who kneels here today. I'm asking, Lord, for your blessings in their lives. And I am asking for safety as they travel. And I'm asking you to, Lord, watch over them and care for them. But, Father, um, I'm asking you to use them. And through the experiences that they have this summer, I'm asking you to change them. 
the needs are so overwhelming in our world. And, and many of these people are going literally all over the world. As we think about students who are traveling and people from our church who are traveling to go to places like Swaziland and other places, Lord. I pray that you will work powerfully through them. They have seen a brother and a sister in need and they have pity on them and they are not loving with just thoughts, words, and speech, but they are loving with action and in truth. And so we commission them in the name of Jesus to go and to serve. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together, okay? Let's sing. So as you go from here today, let me encourage you with these words, love as Jesus loved. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at BethanyNaz.org.